All right, David, is the end of the NBA season. We are heading towards the play-in tournament as of the recording of this podcast. And I got to say, you know, what's your read of the Heat or the Hawks? I mean, I'm, I feel like I feel like the Celtics probably don't want to see the Heat, but at the same time, they always show up against the better teams. So I feel like they might take the Hawks for granted, and that could lead to like a 2008 Celtics having to go seven games against the Hawks in the first round. How do you read the first round of the play-in tournament? Because I think the Heat and the Hawks are the first game tomorrow. Yeah, the Heat and the Hawks are the first game, and then um, what is it on the Western? It's it's uh, Minnesota LA, I believe. Yes, that is tomorrow. Yep. So how do you how do you feel about it? Miami, yeah, Atlanta. I mean, I feel like Atlanta doesn't have much of a chance of beating Miami, but maybe they catch them sleeping. Miami's really not as good as they were last year, and we didn't even think they were that good last year. Um, but could they catch them sleeping? You know, could Trey Young come out and drop a 40-burger? You never know, I guess, right? But I think we do know. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Miami at home is different than Miami on the road. And the fact they get to play at home, obviously, is a big advantage. Uh, I just don't believe in anything Atlanta does. They are bad defensively. They are bad on offense as far as uh, there. They don't really know how to use DeJounte and Trey at the same time, so they try to stagger him the best they can. Seemingly putting him there hasn't moved Trey off the ball as much, even though that's kind of where he should be. His three-point percentage is still bad, despite the volume. It's really just ugly, and uh, I think Miami's going to steamroll him. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see it happening, but at the same and, time... Oh, sorry. Uh, but, I mean, as far as the Celtics... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, I think I think Miami will probably beat them, but at the same time, you know, you got to watch out for Atlanta after they lose a game, because usually when they lose a game, the next thing that happens is they win a game, because they've been within 500 or within a game or two of 500 for, what is it, like three straight months? So you got to watch out for those Hawks, man. They just lost to the Celtics. Granted, it was a meaningless game, but they did just lose to the Celtics. And uh, they don't stay very far from uh, from 500. So they lose a game, they tend to win the next one. So I think they could beat the Heat just based on um, that very flimsy logic. But it could happen. It could happen. You never know. Um, except we kind of do. But we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, we'll know. Uh, relatively early in the evening, probably whether the Celtics will be playing the Heat or the Hawks, and they get a pretty distinct advantage out of that because they can start game planning earlier than anybody else can, at least of the top two seeds in each conference. So there's that. Uh, so, Dave, at the end of the season, we were going to do a playoff preview, but we're going to wait until our good buddy Brandon Maxwell can join us. Brandon's currently under the weather. We hope he feels better soon, uh, but he'll join us again, uh, I'm sure, sometime in the not-so-distant future. But Dave, we picked our all NBA teams, me and you. We put our heads together and we came up with 14 of the same players. Uh, we'll discuss the two that we did not have um, in the same slot, but we'll get to that. Um, are you ready to count down? Well, I guess we'll wait to count down. We have a few honorable mentions we'll go through. And I guess by honorable mentions, I mean elephants in the room that we have to address before moving into the actual all NBA teams. Are you ready to rip off the Band-Aid? Let's rip it off. Yeah, so let's address this off the top. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, you will not hear those names on any of our lists. Dave and I both believe you, except with the exception of one player that I have listed that we'll get to on my third team, 
Dave and I both believe you have to play a certain amount of games to really qualify for these all NBA honors. And this isn't, you know, this isn't, we're not applying the 60 game rule that will go into effect next year. But also, you know, if you play 47 or 50 games, I just, I, I, I have a hard time putting you on the all NBA team when there are guys who played more games, had a similar impact, maybe not as dominant as a KD or a LeBron at full health, but they were there, they were present, and they were really productive. So, yeah, was KD one of the best players in the game when he was healthy? Sure. But he only played 47 games. I, I can't, I, I just have a hard time putting him on an all-NBA team. And if you want to do that, to each their own. But I have a hard time accepting that he's among the top 10 or 15 players in, in a given season if he can't stay on the court. That's a really important part of making the all-NBA team. You know, we have requirements for the scoring title, for the rebounding title. you got to play 58 games. You have to play 58 games, at least in my opinion, to make, you know, get all NBA consideration in the same right. So even if it's 55, 53, 54, 50, I, I can maybe reason that a little bit more with a guy like LeBron, maybe. But I, I, for a guy like KD, you know, like 47 games, I just, I cannot justify that. And then Damian Lillard being shut down at the end of the year, that that also kind of impacted a little bit. So uh, Dave, I'll let you, you know, say your piece about this as well, because we're kind of in lockstep on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't understand the idea that people can play free games and still qualify. Uh, it's just crazy to me. Uh, I know next year, or whenever the CBA kicks in, you got to play 65 games. That was the number they decided on. I'm actually more oh. lenient. I said 60 games. Oh, yeah, that, that was where uh, I got Jacob, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jake, I think, had, six, had 58 or something close to that. So we're pretty much in agreement there. But like, like he said, you're not going to hear certain people like Devin Booker, not going to hear Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, you you look at the list. I mean, Ty Halliburton had a really good year, 56 games, not going to qualify. Steph Curry, 56 games, not my list. Uh, it's There's a lot of really good players, Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard. They're just not going to make it because, you know, you got to play games to qualify. Yeah. And 75% of the games is not an overwhelming ask. I mean, Triple J had surgery and missed like eight games played so this isn't exactly like some sort of hard and fast rule no one's going to qualify and you're going to have you know Peyton Pritchard on third team all NBA good player but not all NBA player so <laughs> again it's you have to you have to be able to have some sort of guideline here and if you didn't play 60 games you weren't on my team that's right you can't play for Dave you can't sit with us if you didn't play at least uh for Dave 60 games for me, somewhere in the area of 58, but I was a little lenient on that, a little bit, as we'll get into with the third team. So, Dave, are you ready to announce the uh, Crossing State Lions All-NBA third team? Let's do it. Drum roll. I'm sorry if that didn't uh, come through the, the headphones as, as I intended it to. So, Dave, let's start with the tie that we have. Uh, the only players that we did not have on each other's team. Uh, that would be the guard spot, or one of the guard spots, actually. Uh, I had Steph Curry, you had Jalen Brunson. So I just gave that whole spiel about 58 games, 58 games, 58 games to qualify. Steph Curry played 56. Okay, sure. You want to you know, throw me over the coals for that? Sorry, okay. But when Steph was out there, Steph was 
unbelievable. So I'm willing to give him a a little bit more leniency because the Warriors were better than a team like the Lakers. They overcame more adversity than a team like the Lakers. I mean, I know the Lakers had their injuries and all that, but the Warriors had a, a very long and winding road in their uh, season as reigning champions, and some of that was self-inflicted -inflict for sure. And Curry had to step in and be a leader in those situations, and, oh, he was also completely balling out like he always does. So, you know, trust me, as a Celtics fan, I've seen him make some shots that I cannot explain. So... <clears throat> I went with Steph Curry here in, for one of my third team spots just because I think he was so sensational when he was on the court. And he was so close to that 58-game margin. I know LeBron was close too, but I think I just found more competition you know, to knock him slightly off um, from the time that he missed. And I've always been you know, more of a, a, a fan of Steph Curry's game. So... I, I, I leaned Curry on this one. I know you'd probably disagree, but you because you were very much so hard and fast on your game rules, but I think you can at least see why I went with Steph here. Yeah, I mean, he had a great year. Uh, if if he had played 60 games, he probably would have been on my first team. So, uh, great year again by Steph. Somehow, I mean, his game is going to age really gracefully because he's really crafty. He's never relied on super quickness. He's always relied on shiftiness, intelligence, shot selection, being able to move without the ball, uh, knowing when to cut, where to cut, how to use change of pace to his benefit. Uh, he'll age really gracefully like Chris Paul did, and obviously the shot isn't going to go away anytime soon. Hmm. Um, I just felt like Brunson played 68 games, uh, only missed 14, was the best player in the Knicks most of the year. Randall had little spurts where he was the best player, but uh, Brunson, for the most part, was the best player. Uh, pretty much any analytic you looked at, he was a top 15 to 20 player, which puts him squarely in the All-NBA discussion. And again, when you start looking at the games played, he's, he gets bumped up for certainly a little bit more because you have guys like Davis, LeBron, Dame Lillard, uh, Harden, those guys right up there too, but just didn't play enough games. So I just think when you look at it, how important he's been to the Knicks, how good he's been, the shot-making the true shooting in the fourth quarter, the true shooting overall, almost 60% for a guard that for the most part is shooting mid-range to long jumpers, not really at the rim anymore. Uh, it's it's really, really good stuff. And I think there certainly needs to be some sort of recognition of how good he's been. Yeah, and yeah, I, I agree there. I, I liked his game a lot. I just, you know, guard was incredibly competitive and... I ended up, he was probably, you know, if there was an NBA fourth team, uh, then he probably would be my, one of my guards on that. But there was so much so much guard talent that got left off. We didn't even mention James Harden, who was, has won the assist title this year. Like, we didn't even mention him. Uh, I guess we just did now, but we didn't really talk about him at all in honorable mentions. And you have Jalen Brunson, who, man, I, you know, everybody derided that signing for the Knicks. And said, you know, they overpaid for him, and you know, he's a, a glorified role player, second second fiddle, second option. And the Knicks had a really dynamic crew between him, Randall, quickly, that grimes a really, really gritty team. And will it hold up in the playoffs? I guess we'll find out. But because I think the Cavaliers Knicks series is gonna go seven. But we'll get into that when we do our playoff preview. Um, but I don't mind it. I mean, I have no problems with Brunson, I'm not gonna fight you on it. He had a really great season, so uh kudos to him. 
Dave, our second guard spot uh, for the All-NBA third team goes to future clutch player of the year, De'Aaron Fox. And, man, what a sensational year for him. It feels like he made more clutch buckets than anyone in the league, and I'm pretty sure analytically that checks out. He's just so quick and agile. He's a fun, fun player to watch. And we've discussed about the, you know, we talked about the Kings a lot. We talked about them last week in our burning questions about the NBA playoffs. And, you know, their defense is definitely a problem, but offensively, they're one of the most enjoyable teams to watch in the NBA between him and a guy we're going to get to very shortly, um, DeMontis Sabonis. The Kings are just one of the most, just, I mean, fun is a simple word for it, but they are. They're just a very fun team to watch. And, they're one of those league pass teams that you like to check out. And when they played the Celtics, a lot of points scored. They weren't too impressive the first game, but they were a little bit more impressive in the second before the Celtics pulled away uh, in the second half. And I think they're just a bad matchup for the I mean, the Celtics are just a bad matchup for the Kings uh, if it should get to that point. But De'Aaron Fox just, you know, he can slice through a defense pretty much at will. Um, a lot to still work on defensively, obviously. And, you know, he's... Got got some quirks uh, in his game that need to be worked out, but overall, I mean, when it gets down to the final minutes, there's fewer guys in the league you want to take in that last shot than him this year. Yeah, and the the improvement has really been dramatic. Uh, went from turnover machine, struggling to ignite the offense, uh, inefficiency, everything that plagued him, he kind of figured out was one of two players to score 500 or more points in the fourth quarter this year. Really, really quick with the ball. Good decision maker this year. That mid-range where he uses his quickness and kind of sets up people on their heels and then takes that pull-up 15-footer, 20-footer, uh, he really kind of made that his bread and butter. And I think you've seen on the defensive end, too, his offense has kind of influenced his defense, coming up with some really big steals on the ball. And being the pest that he was kind of at Kentucky early on in his career, I think it's kind of a huge deal for them that he's been that good because you saw early on in the offseason that there was talk that they were going to try to move him just to get off the contract, that it was a mistake to give him a max. And now uh, he's really looking like the max is well-deserved, well-earned, and him in place is really going to help him and Sabonis, which at first seemed like a clunky fit with their – Neither of them really being great three-point shooters, but mm. they've kind of figured it out. Fox has been a little bit better on th the three-point shot this year. Sabonis still really is just doesn't look comfortable out there shooting threes, and percentages reflect that. But um, Fox has been outstanding this year, and that's really the huge reason why that they've been able to kind of push their pace and have the number one offense in the league in the third seed in the West. Yeah, he played 73 games this year. That's the most he's played since his second year in the league. Now he played 51, 58, 59, three years in a row, so he missed some time you know, due to injury. At the same time, 25 points per game, career high in rebounds per game at 4.2. That's pretty much tracked up every year of his career for the most part. 6.1 assists per game, pretty much in line with his career average, but very good number. And like you said, the turnovers are way down. He's averaged, he's brought his turnovers down every year since the COVID, the bubble season, 2019, 2020. So he's done a better job distributing the ball without turning it over. The ratios have gotten better, and he's still scoring at a pretty impressive clip. So I think it's a well-deserved honor for him. His first All-Star selection was this year, 25 years old. Future's bright out in Sacramento. Like you said, people question the fit, but seems to work pretty well, and we'll get to Sabonis. Don't worry about that. So let's move on to the forwards, Dave. 
Speaking of the Knicks, we both had Julius Randle as a third-team All-NBA forward. Um, what did you like out of Julius Randle this year, who appears to be an All-NBA caliber player every other season? Yeah, I mean, it. he was, for everything he was the first year, he wasn't the second year. And everything he wasn't the second year, he was the third year. So uh, he was able to make shots. He was able to set up his teammates. He was able to push the pace. And the thing that always made him really, really good that first year with the Knicks when he exploded and earned that contract was him, his ability to get the ball and push it on his own. And that kind of sets up the offense. It's, it's hard to defend when you have a big guy like a Giannis, like a Horford even. If you have a big guy that can get the ball and dribble it up the floor and not look clunky and mechanical and have the ball taken away from him, um, it just makes a huge difference. And Randall, again, has had a much better uh, shot chart this year. He's getting back to kind of like the bread and butter where it's – He's, he's shooting a lot of threes, but he's also getting to the rim, getting to the line, and making all those. Really struggled with his three-point shot last year, and that was kind of like the thing that that kind of unlocked him the first year. That that allowed him to put up those gaudy numbers. But, um, you know, 31% last year, 41 two years ago, back up to the mid-30s this year, and, you know, averaged almost seven free-throw attempts per game. That was a career high. Shooting 76% from the line. It, it's all good stuff from Randall. I mean, was he as good as his first year? No, not as good as his first year, even though he's been really good. Or second year with the next rather, not even first year. But um, I just think overall, when you look at it, this team wasn't wouldn't be as good, even with Brunson being as, as good as he's been. The improvement from year to year to Rand, from Randall is oh. kind of like, what's the difference here? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a career high for him in starts as well, 77 starts. Even with the injuries sustained, he really didn't miss that much time. Um, and it looks like he'll, he should be back in time, you know, to really kick into high gear for the playoffs. But 25 and 10, that's that's impressive. And especially when you're playing 35 minutes a game, which, you know, two years ago, he led the league in minutes per game. And he's averaged 35 minutes a game for the Knicks. I mean, we, we know Tom Thibodeau's style. <laughs> it's play them until they physically can't move. Um, but, uh, yeah, 25 and 10, that's impressive. Fewer assists than his first year, almost two full assists fewer, but still pretty good Four assists per game, turning the ball over a little less, but that's going to happen when you're passing it less. Um, but you know, I, it's a very impressive year for him and he, you know, we saw it firsthand against the Celtics. He was pretty damn dominant against the Celtics. He likes to turn it up for the bigger games and he's a joy to watch play when he's not playing against your team. So I like him. And I think he was just, he deserved it a little bit more over Brunson for me. I know they're different positions, but uh, if I was going to pick one Nick to put on the All-NBA team, uh, third team, I, I would choose him. So, Julius Randle. Dave, the other forward on our third team All-NBA squad, probably not a name we expected to be here at the start of the season, would be Laurie Markkinen, who showed up and showed out for the Utah Jazz this year. A not very good Utah Jazz team, but... Still one that I would say overachieved, and Laurie Markkinen was an enormous part of that. Yeah, I mean, he was... I don't even know how he could have had a better year. Uh, it was really incredible to see what he was able to do with kind of coming from nowhere. Uh, it was efficiency beyond belief. Uh, when you look at the numbers that he's had, 
the true shooting was outrageous. She was 64, 64% true shooting percentage for a guy that's shooting mid-range to long shots. He's not constantly at the rim posting up guys like a true big man. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it was just impressive to watch him play when you saw him in Chicago and it just didn't, it, he just seemed like he was going to be a bust. I mean, he really never produced to any high level in Chicago and it just didn't seem like the right fit. And he goes to Utah and Utah's, you know, we think is tanking for Wemby this year. But then they start the year well and then nobody, nobody thought they were going to sustain that hot start that they had because they just weren't built for it. But, I mean, you know, he just qualified for our our standards. You know, he started he played and started in 66 games. That qualifies by your standards, by my standards, and also by the new All-NBA standards that start next year. So, it, just barely, but he still qualifies. And he he really was so impressive in those games. And I, I don't, I, I like to think that I have a pretty good eye for basketball, but I don't even really know what, changed other than just a chain of scene change of scenery i guess does wonders for some guys right sometimes that's all you need you know it's uh look at franchi cordero it's all he needed right <laughs> yeah that, that one is always going to eat up people including me but right. uh the crazy thing about marketing is there's only 13 14 guys that average 25 or more points per game he's the only one to do it on less than 18 shots the only one no other player did that so um the efficiency from him is probably the most surprising and staggering thing. The ability to make long shots from three contested. Like if you watch the games that he played, he wasn't always creating this crazy amount of space where he's, he's doing something where um, like Brandon Ingram is really good at this, where he'll, he'll create space based off his length and his step backs and be able to shoot over people. Markin was constantly being guarded really, really tough because of his supporting cast. And he was still able to make those shots. And I think just overall, his ability to make shots this year wasn't really a great playmaker. Like I said, not a great rebounder, but uh, his shot making was just on another level this year compared to kind of his competition. Laurie Markin and a fun fact, the third player in NBA history to have 25 points per game and average fewer than two turnovers a game in the same season. Yeah, I mean, he, was, he wasn't he was really making a lot of plays for people, so it makes sense. But also, like, the efficiency is just outrageous. The other two, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, who did it four times, <laughs> uh, and Kiki Vandewey, who did it in 1986-87 for Portland. So, yeah, you're right, not making a ton of plays, so it's, it's not a surprise. But still, I mean, f- fewer than two turnovers a game, no matter who you are, I mean, that's still impressive. When you're scoring that much, you're still handling the ball a lot. And you can get it poked away from you, and that's still a turnover. So, you know, I think it's pretty impressive. I mean, not, and I'm not taking anything away from him by saying he doesn't make a lot of plays, but, you know, uh, I, I don't want to take any credit away from, from Mr. Markman. He had a fantastic season. Now, I don't, I don't want to rain on his parade, Dave. This is probably the best he's ever going to be, right? I, I don't think he could, I don't think he, I think that we've hit at the ceiling of Laurie Markman, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it would be, You'd be hard pressed to beat the season. I'll be honest. I mean, it's just right. It, it's nothing against him and his skill level. It's just I don't understand how you could beat a season when you basically are hands down the most improved player, and on top of that, you're also a top fifteen player. Well, actually, Dave, as we'll get to later, I don't think he's hands down the most improved player. That's true. 
which uh, is just an unfortunate uh, coincidence for Mr. Uh, Mr. Markinen. All right, Dave, closing out the third team uh, because positions are still a thing, and this is the last year they will be, really to the detriment of DeMontis Sabonis, who, in a positionless world, would be a second-teamer without even a question. But because he's a center, and the two centers ahead of him are, without a doubt, the two best players in the game this year, probably, at least two of the top three, DeMontis Sabonis falls falls to, quote-unquote, the third team. And, man, dude, he is maybe one of my favorite players in the league. I mean, I love passing big men, and he's still not even the best one of those in the NBA, but he's really damn good at it. That, you know, averaging over, I think it was over 12 and a half rebounds a game. I believe he won the rebounding title this year, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he did, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, it just how dynamic of a player he is. And like you said earlier, not an, a, you know, a prolific three-point shooter. But he's so talented at everything else. And it's just such a joy to watch him on the basketball court, especially playing with De'Aaron Fox and Kevin Herter, Malik Monk, all those guys on that Kings team under Mike Brown. They've been, they've just been such a, a pleasant surprise in the NBA this year. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where Sabonis goes. I thought, you know, man, that, that trade may end up being one of the more evenly balanced ones because... Tyrus Halliburton is going to be a stud for the Pacers, and Sabonis, I think, is clearly going to already is a stud. And Halliburton's already a stud, too, but they're going to grow into maybe, you know, potentially superstar players for these franchises. And it's I think it's worked out pretty well for both of them. It's going to take the Pacers to play a little bit more of a long game because they were kind of rebuilding anyway. Not kind of, are rebuilding anyway. But I think it's going to end up being extremely beneficial for both sides in the end. And a lot of people kind of derided that trade at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think it just comes down to where you are as a franchise. Like, the Kings wanted to get to the playoffs. They wanted to just win now. They were done rebuilding. They didn't care about what it cost. They just wanted to get a playoff game. They wanted to taste what the playoffs felt like. And the Pacers just weren't really going anywhere. They weren't. They were pretty stagnant. They were stuck. Um, And Miles Turner and Sabonis just didn't work. Everyone knew that. They finally decided they were going to push it. They got help burned back, which is a great return. It really, like, the winner to this trade really just comes down to what side you were on. You know, the pace, the Kings get the best rebounder, playmaking big. To be honest, Halliburton's ceiling is much higher than Sabonis, obviously. Yeah, sure. You're playing, the long, you're playing the long game with that. Sure. Uh, Sabonis is, like, the present value. He's the high floor, low ceiling guy, whereas Halliburton's the high ceiling, little bit lower floor guy, depending on if the turnovers stay down if his shot creation stays up, if his quickness keeps up, if he shoots, I mean, the shot is weird. And if it goes back down to the thirties, the low thirties, it becomes a different, different shot. Uh, But overall, I mean, I don't think you can really pick apart what that trade was for each team. They each got what they wanted. Yeah. I mean, and back to Sabonis who not, I I don't want to take him out of the spotlight. Um, He played the second most minutes this year of any center behind only Nikola Vucevic who played three more games than him. Um, and I'll say that's pretty impressive guy at 32 years old, deliberately wanting to play all 82 games. I give him a lot of credit for a team that is in the play in technically, but you know, um, again, Sabonis, just a a real stud second in win shares this year, 12.6 behind Nikola Jokic, who had 14.9, which is an insanely high number, but we'll get to him. Uh, just an all around, just incredible season for him. 
And maybe in another world, in a different season with a weaker slate of players, maybe he wins most improved just because of how ridiculous he's been. De'Aaron Fox also has a, a decent stake, uh, claim to stake for most improved player as well. Um, I mean, the Kings, if there was most improved team award, would win that award because that's just how good they've been. Maybe the Thunder, but I think they'd be more surprising rather than improved. Um but yeah, I, I think Sabonis is more than deserving of, of the spot on the third team. It's just unfortunate that it's not next year, or this next year's not this year, where positions are eliminated, and he could have been on the second team, I think, easily. So, Dave, on to the All-NBA second team. Talk to me a little bit about Donovan Mitchell, who I think has exceeded expectations with the Cavaliers this year. Yeah, I mean, you can go back and listen me and Jake were not always the highest on Donovan Mitchell. That's true. <laughs> uh, it was certainly something that we disagreed with Brandon about, but Mitchell obviously brought a lot to the Cavs this year, scoring the ball at a really, really high rate, which gave the Cavs something that they needed, which was a guy to control the offense, score points when they needed, while Mobley grows, while Garland grows. You have Jared Allen protecting the rim. Really, the last piece they needed was a score. They got it. Mitchell's been unbelievable. Obviously, the 70-point, 72-point game. But, or 71, I think it was. 71, but, yeah. Uh, he's been he's been really, really good. This three-point shot was much better this year than it has been in my eyes. The volume is much higher. Uh, overall, just a really, really good year from him. And I think... Things he did in the past are still kind of warts on his game where he sometimes forces it. But in all honesty, what score it doesn't. We've seen it with Tatum. We've seen it with Durant at times. We saw it in the playoffs last year with him against the Celtics. We've seen it with Harden. We've seen it with pretty much every player at some point thinks they have to take it upon themselves. And that's honestly why we pay them like stars, why those teams pay them. You know, right. that's that's why you pay them for those moments. Yeah, career high in scoring, 28, 28.3 points per game. Career low in turnovers, 2.6 per game. So really impressive season overall from him. You know, and yeah, there's, like you said, some warts in his game, but, you know, he's he's been amongst the best guards in the NBA pretty much all season. And, you know, 68 games, that's actually fewer than I thought he played. He hasn't played in 70 games since before the pandemic, so 18, 19. So he's not as available as you might like him to be, I guess, overall. But when he's playing, I mean, the guy is among, like we're saying here, the four best guards in the NBA. And he's such a stud scorer. You know, putting up 70 points in the game does not happen very often. Bad players don't do that. Good players often even don't do that. It's really the great players that's reserved for. And just putting that, that it's a, kind of a microcosm of his season, just putting the team on his back. And it's a really good team in Cleveland. But like we, like you said, kind of the missing piece. You know, they have a lot of good young players a really up-and-coming squad, but sometimes you need that real scoring threat to pull it all together, and Mitchell's done a great job of that. So definitely an, an easy All-NBA pick. <clears throat> I was between him and Curry for second and third team, but ultimately Mitchell was a little bit more available for me, so that's why he uh, he got the edge in, um, in All-NBA second team voting for me. Dave, our other All-NBA guard uh, would be John Morant, who... If the season just went differently for him, if he had, a, I, I think, a better overall season, could have made an argument for first team. But like we have said ad nauseum at this point, guard is so incredibly stacked that 
it, it was just hard to make a case better than second team for him. And, you know, Jaws got a really interesting career trajectory because I feel like he should be a bigger superstar than he is. And he already is a superstar. But I feel like he should almost be bigger and, and better than he is. And he definitely had some, you know, some some not great decisions that he made this year. I mean, there, there, were, there were plenty of reasons he was in the headlines for, I'm sure, reasons he didn't want to be in the headlines. And even with all that, he was sensational when he was on the court. Yeah. Uh, Kyle had a really good year. But again, the standards for him are really, really high, as yeah. they should be. He's a really, really terrific young player. He's explosive. He can score. He can distribute. Three-point shot lagging behind a little bit. Turnovers kind of erratic at times. But overall, the explosive plays, the wow plays, the energy he generates for his teammates, all that stuff is really good. To me, again, not as good of a year as he had last year. Right. And I think for me, the only reason he makes it to the second team is the lack of games played for a lot of these other guys. Right. Because obviously, if Dame and Curry play enough games, those guys both get spots probably in the first and second teams, which bumps everyone else down. But uh, again, he played enough games, so he deserves credit for that, even with all the incidents and stuff that happened, the injuries, the uh, personal turmoil that he had, and hopefully he's better from that, and he's feeling a little bit better about himself. Mm. Uh, But overall, great year overall still, even though that... He's a little disappointing in this year from my eyes. Still had a really successful year. Helped the Grizzlies to the the second seed again, which I don't think is being talked about enough. I think that's part of his his story as far as getting to this team. Yeah. Uh, When you talk about the Grizzlies, had a lot of injuries. JJJ didn't really play the first three months. Bain's been in and out. He didn't even make 60 games. So even if he was good enough, wouldn't have qualified. Right. And obviously dealing with the whole Dylan Brooks fiasco, pretty much right. every game on the floor. Yeah. It's it's certainly interesting. And I think, you know, Steven Adams being out is a big, big loss for a team that really valued those extra possessions that he got them. Yeah, We'll see sure. what it means in the playoffs. But again, John Morant was good enough to be on this team. This wasn't like a consolation award where, oh, yeah. all right, we'll just put him on the team because we have no one else. Yeah. I would not have put him on the team if I had those other guys' games played. But sure. saying that you're the third or fourth best option behind Steph and Dame is not anything to be down about. Yeah. 61 games this year, like you said. <clears throat> Made the All-Star team 26.2 points per game. Career highs in rebounding, assists. You know, almost six rebounds a game. More than eight assists per game. So he really has been increasing those numbers. He, went, he dipped a little bit last year, but uh, he went back up to a career high with a little over eight assists per game this year, averaging a little over one steal. So he really does do it all. And like you said, the Grizzlies had a lot of injuries this year, a, a lot of uncertainty in terms of who they're putting on the court lineup-wise. But when Ja was out there, he was always leading them. And it, it's very impressive to see, especially when you have a lot of big personalities on that squad, you know, between Steven Adams, who even though he was hurt, he is, you know, he's a, a, a great player, great glue guy to have out there, great rebounder. You know, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, um, Conchar, like a lot of, you have a lot of solid players and, and in a wide open West, all it takes is for Ja to get hot. And, and that team is going to be a menace to deal with in the, in the postseason. So watch out for them could be a monster. And I'm not just saying that because I picked them to go to the finals. Um, Dave, moving to the forwards, the all NBA forwards, 
The first one is Mr. Jimmy Butler, who, let me ask you this question, Dave. If Jimmy Butler is not on the Heat, how many games do they win this year? <laughs> they're a lottery team. As I say, they're they're in the race for Wembenyama if he's not playing at this time. Maybe, okay, maybe not that bad, but they're actually, that's actually probably worse for them. They'd probably just be like a mediocre team. They'd probably be a Wizards territory, like 35, 34 wins. Ish. They, they, yeah, they'd be eighth-ish for eighth-worst eighth record, rather. Yeah, I'd say somewhere in the realm of like 33 to 35 wins would be what they were looking at. Because he was such... You know, that's just what Jimmy Butler is, though. I mean, he's always going to give you the numbers he put up this year. Like, he's going to give you the, the, the scoring, the rebounding. He's going get to get to the line an absolute ton. He's not going to take a lot of three-pointers, but he's going to take enough shots for you to try to win the game. And as we know, in the playoffs, he's a completely different animal. So... It's. It, 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 I feel like it was a no-brainer to have him on the second team. You know, I feel like he's he was better than Randall, better than Markinen, and for a team that you know, if you want to talk about value, he's not going to get really many MVP votes. He might not finish top ten. Who knows? But I mean, the Heat, the Heat are like we said, uh, probably a mess without Jimmy Butler, and because we talked about it a little bit last week, the pieces around him just. Are, are not really that good. I mean, Bam had a solid year, but other than that, you know, Hero is fine, and then you have a bunch of guys who are so boomer bust and way more bust than boom. So, I mean, Jimmy Butler, well-deserved spot, I think, on the second team. Yeah, it's... He's had a really, really good year, and I'm not sure he gets... This is kind of like the cliche line that most people use for pretty much everybody. Uh, when you start talking about awards time, but Butler's been awesome. No matter what advanced metric you look at, he's been awesome. The PER, true shooting, win shares, box plus minus, usage, turnovers, VORP, all that, all the numbers, alphabet soup. He's been really good in all of it. Uh, They wouldn't be anywhere without him, and he's been as special as you can hope for a guy that's 33, has a lot of mileage, has bad knees at this point. 23, 5, 23, 6, and 5. Yep. And he shoots 35% from three, which is good enough to be respectable there. 54 from the field, 85%. Just an overall really, really special year for a guy that I think people had kind of written off as just like a second-tier superstar at this age. Uh, another really, really strong year for him. And I think that's the only reason people are anywhere near as scared as Miami. Bam had oh. an okay year. Yeah. Tyler here had an okay year. Just really, Kyle Lowry was bad. He was just flat out bad. And yeah. I just think that's the reason why you're starting to see all these people talk about Miami because everyone remembers what playoff Jimmy Butler did um, the last few years. So, yeah. And, you know, certainly deserves everything he got this year. And the other thing about Jimmy Butler, I mean, ever since he got to Miami, pretty much a tw- you know, 21 6 and 6 guy, pretty much every year. Is that that's what he's averaging out to, and even on his low years, twenty five and five is what he's putting up. I mean, he's always going to be good for those numbers. He <clears throat> can really do it all for them, and he really is the heart and soul of that team. And <clears throat> you know, without him, yeah, they are they're in rough shape. Like you said, perfectly. You know, he's the only reason you're afraid of the Heat. He's the only reason that the Celtics fan, you know, Celtics fans like us are like, well. You know, I think they'll do okay against Miami, but you never know with Jimmy Butler. The guy is just an absolute beast in the playoffs, and he just goes to a different gear in the postseason. So you always have to be cognizant of that. At the same time, 
you know, the, the pieces around him, <clears throat> they have not done a good job building and sustaining a, a really solid product around him uh, ever since they got to the conference finals the first time in the bubble and they got back last year. They were good, they were good. but they, you know, they went seven games with the Celtics, but the Celtics were definitely the better team. So it's all about Jimmy Butler. So, yeah. Speaking of the Celtics, Dave, uh, you might have heard of this guy. You may have heard of him. His name has been around town a little bit. Jalen Brown. I mean, what is there to even say? The guy averaged 26, I believe it was 26.7 points per game this year. Something in that realm. Um, but I'll tell you, man, it, it is a very nice life for us Celtics fans, knowing you got two walking 25-point-per-game players just ready to have a night anytime they want to. Yeah, it's especially here for Jalen, where I think he kind of put to bed the their ask of he's kind of just a second-tier guy. I think he kind of proved that if he needs to be, he's able to be that guy. He had some really special games when Tatum was out. The three-point shot kind of disappeared for him this year, which was kind of strange because he seemingly would have games where he wouldn't miss from three, and he'd get really hot at points, but 33.5%, not really very good. A severe downturn from kind of where he's been, and all that coming with increased attempts, which is a little concerning for the future, Right, but... As far as the other stuff, the, the fouls drawn, um, better defensively, more awareness, which has mm. always kind of been his issue where the tools are outstanding, but the awareness and the attention to detail on defense where he sometimes yeah. gets dazed and lets guys back cut on him. You can kind of pick out multiple moments over the playoffs of the last few years where he kind of lost track of his guy, they back cut on him, and they got to him for a dunk or a layup or an N one. And I think a big um, a big thing from last year also that he focused on was his ball handling. He's gotten better with that. I mean, he still has his hiccups, but for the most part, he's gotten a lot better handling the ball, and that was such an issue for him, especially in the finals last year. Even though he was probably their best player in that series, his ball handling and, and his, his turnovers were, were just way too much to stomach and, and to overcome. And I feel like this year is his handle has gotten a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. It definitely has. And... You know, when you look at the scoring numbers, he made 10 shots a game, which is more than Tatum made, more than Kyrie made, more than John Morant, Trey Young, Laurie Markinen, Levine, De'Aaron Fox, Randall, DeRozan, Anthony Edwards, Jokic, Siakam, more than all those guys, Brunson. So a really, really special year, more than Dame. It's just he really earned himself a spot at the table with all the other best players played 67 games despite pretty much fracturing his face only missed like two games and uh you know you'd love to see certain things like you'd love to see fewer turnovers you'd love to see more assists for some reason i think that there's another step he could have taken was bumping up his playmaking abilities but and more fouls drawn but um because the assist to turnover ratio is still bad it's still three to three basically right one-to-one at that point, which is just really, for a guy that handles the ball that much, is really, really a tough, tough thing to swallow. But the scoring numbers, the isolation numbers, all good stuff. And when you see it, he really kind of just has moments he controls the game, and you can really kind of feel the aggressiveness that he has and he plays with. So really, really good season from Jalen. He earned second team. For sure. I mean, I mean, 
it takes a lot to have a career low in three-point percentage, but have a career high in overall field goal percentage. He shot 57.6 from within the arc this year, which is his, which is where you make up for that difference. Um, and 13.4 shots within the arc on average. You know, that's up from even a few years ago, it was 9.6. So he's driving to the hoop more. He's trying to make more plays, trying to assert himself more. And that's just what he, it's just what he does. And that's what makes him such a joy to watch uh, as a player. And still some things to improve on, obviously. But Jalen, if you're listening, which I know he is, he's a big fan of the show. He tweets at us all the time, but it's probably from his burner account. You know, he can't be, he can't be preferring one podcast over the other. I get it. But if you're listening, Jalen, big fans, come on the show. Um, you're more than welcome. Just let us know. Your people can talk to our people. We'll get it going, you know. Um, all right. Our second team center, Dave again. Positionless uh, All-NBA teams, be damned. Uh, would be uh, Nikola Jokic, who, you know, was in line to win his third straight MVP, faltered a little bit down the stretch as Joel Embiid really ramped up his campaign. Um, I mean... And Nikola Jokic is un- unlike really any other player I've ever seen, at least in my time watching the NBA. It's it's just it's like indescribable almost like what he does. And yeah, it could be a little bit of a defensive liability, sure, whatever. But I think he makes up for that in the fact that he does I don't know literally everything for the Nuggets. Yeah, and there's just nothing really he can't do. Um... 25 a game, 38% from three, 82 from the line, 63 from the field, 12 rebounds, 10 assists a game. As he goes as he goes, when he doesn't play, they're a mess, even with Murray and Porter and Caldwell Pope and all these other guys. Really, really weird story about their supporting cast. But, um, you know, Jokic, as good as he is, and we, we talked, you mentioned it too, the defensive liability stuff. He's a liability at the rim, and he's probably always going to be that way, but he still gives some effort. I think the one thing you'd like to see is more aggressiveness scoring the ball, but realistically, he's the best. I think he's probably the best passer in the league, not just big man, best passer. Hmm. The stuff you see from him, you wonder, you always wonder yourself how he saw that, how he did that, how do you get the ball through that space, and doing it all while basically plodding around, kind of being like the slowest athlete on the floor at all times. Really just an absolutely special player. I know people kind of value what they're seeing because if you watch him on League Pass or if you're a Nuggets fan in the market area, and the Nuggets area rather, it's it's really special to watch. Yeah, I mean, he just does so many things well, especially in the offensive end. You know, like like we said, just, I mean, 24.5 points per game, 11.8 rebounds, 9.8 assists. The assist number is, is a career high for him. The, the rebounding is actually, and scoring is actually down from last year. But again... I guess if you win two straight MVPs, you have to be just extra sensational to win it the third time. Um, but the guy is just, he's just special. I mean, there's really no other word to describe it. And I think saying he's the best passer in the league, I don't have any issue with that. No quarrel from me. Um, another all-star year for him. Played 69 games, which, you know, I think him missing time. I think it was a calf injury, if I'm not mistaken. Um Missing time with that hurt his MVP case a little bit. I feel like if he played maybe four or five, maybe six more games, I think playing 75 games, that may have put him more in the conversation and secured that third MVP in a row. But, hey, you know, 
a second-team All-NBA appearance for a already surefire Hall of Fame career. I think he'll, I think he'll make it. I don't know about you, but I think he'll, he'll get by. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I think, I think a lot of it has to do with, as much as we don't want to admit it, it's a narrative, it's a story, and Jokic at the most critical time of the year just had a calf injury. And it coincides with Embiid kind of really having a couple huge games on on national TV. Mm. You know, it's when you start talking about Embiid and Jokic and Giannis, you're really splitting hairs here. They're all having great years. You can all pick apart little things they do wrong, stuff that's a negative on them. Embiid some kind of flails around, has some kind of really questionable shot decisions. Not really playing super great team basketball at times. Not a great passer at times. Jokic, a little slow defensively, not super aggressive at times. Had some turnover issues at times with the injuries. And obviously Giannis has had a couple really big missteps on national TV with his team getting beaten. Doesn't necessarily mean he's been bad, but he hasn't always been he hasn't always been his best self throughout this year. So we certainly can pick apart little things from each of them, but in the end, you're splitting hairs between probably three of the best players in the game today. So realistically, I think, you know, the passing is the most special thing in Jokic's game. And I think that's what makes the Denver offense so good. And that's why he's always going to be one of the best hubs for offense, probably in NBA history. All right, Dave, moving to the first team. Let's start off with our guards. Our first All-NBA guard, I think, the consensus most approved player this year, Shea Gilgis Alexander of the Oklahoma City Thunder. 31.4 points per game, very much so a career high, up almost seven full points from last year. He played 12 more games than he did last year, almost a full minute more per game, raised his shooting percentage by six, almost six full points, his three-point percentage by four and a half points. Still not, you know, a, a, it's a respectable 34.5%. He doesn't take a ton of threes, so... He's like a Jimmy Butler type of three-point shooter. Doesn't really take a ton of them. Um, 90% from the free throw line. He gets there almost 11 times a game, and he's very efficient there. Almost five rebounds a game, five and a half assists, 1.6 steals, one block per game, which is also very impressive. I mean, fewer than three turnovers a game also. Very impressive. I mean, what couldn't the guy do this year? Pretty much nothing. I mean, he willed the Thunder to a play-in spot when they were winning, projected to win, what, like 21 games this year? Yeah, I mean, they were tanking for, for Wemby. Yeah, until they weren't. <laughs> until it became too good that he just controlled every game. Yep. And to be able to do that really without any semblance of a three-point shot, he made less than one per game, uh, which puts him on track. Basically, it compares him with Giannis. Yeah. So if you look at it, he makes as many threes per game basically as Jokic, Giannis, and DeMar DeRozan. Basically, all guys that don't shoot threes pretty much at all. Jokic is the one exception where he'll have a couple of games where he makes three or four, but for the most part, he's more comfortable inside. Um, but Shea averaged 31, over 31 a game, like you said. 10, shot, 10 made field goals a game. 51% from the field. He's He's one of, you know, how many guys can shoot 50% and score 30 a game? Like, in NBA history, there's probably, like, 30, maybe 40. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some more over the last few seasons because of the boom in offense. But 
Yeah, and I would uh, even I would even say I think you should do it uh, you know dividing line in the three point era because you know Kareem did that a lot, Wilt did that a lot, but those were guys who were getting to the rim and weren't even considering outside shots. I think if you you know do that line of demarcation for after the three point line really got prominent, like yeah, how many guys are doing that? <laughs> you know, like how many are? Yeah. I mean, it's just that. SGA gets the line a preposterous amount of times, too. I mean, guy... And shoots 91%. Yeah, yeah, lives at the free throw line. Yeah, and to just kind of... He has so many things working against him where the Thunder don't have a ton of great three-point shooters. And on top of that, he doesn't really shoot threes. And he's really a mediocre shooter from three. 34.5% is not great. No. Like, that is not... People aren't going to be jumping out at you for that. And on top of that, the teammates he has aren't great. And everyone knows he wants to get to the rim. So, like, you put all those things in a pot together. Yeah. And they're like, all right, you're going to get us 31 points a game consistently. Yeah. And make 10 shots from the field inside the three-point line per game. Like, that's just a preposterous season by any standard. Any. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know... He's just such a sensation to watch. It's 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 been a great year for him. Overall, he would have been an MVP candidate. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think he still will finish probably top ten on most ballots. I would say, um, I think top five maybe he might finish fifth. I think the top four spots are pretty much locked in, so that fifth or sixth spot could be up for grabs for him. But um, yeah, for sure, Dave, our other All NBA guard. I'll just uh, I'll give you the ball and get out of the way on your favorite player in the NBA. Luka Doncic. Luka had a great season statistically. Uh, almost, pretty much 11 made shots a game. 50% from the field. 34% from three. Still really kind of low for a guy that shoots eight a game. I'd like to see that more up into the mid to high 30s, like maybe 36 37%. If you can get to 38, that'd be great. 74% from the line. Still too low for a guy that takes 11 free throws a game. Got to be in that. 80 range but you can't argue with the nine rebounds eight assists you know 3.5 turnovers per game for a guy that handles the ball pretty much every possession there just there just isn't a lot to work with there in dallas and they're not really helping him out here with the talent they need around him they need he needs shooting around him same thing we've talked about with lebron same thing we've talked about with pretty much every guy that handles the ball all the time we need we just need or sorry, Luca needs people that can make shots and take the pressure off him so he doesn't have to play 100 miles an hour every time he's out there. And in return, Luca needs to be in better shape to start the year. Every year he comes in, and again, when you say this as a person that doesn't play professional sports, you also need to specify the fact that we as people are not in good as good a shape as Luca. Yeah. <laughs> we need to specify that because right. Luca's in even in Luca's worst shape, he is in better shape than all of us. Right. So that being said, Luca needs to get in better shape for himself so that he can maximize what he has. But to be honest, I thought about leave bumping Luca down a second team because as good a season as he had, you could argue the impact he had on the team was not substantial enough to help. They had they did have talent on the team. It was not the right talent, and they certainly didn't always play to that capability. But as the point guard, you have to take some responsibility of that. doesn't mean you take all of it because it's ridiculous to think otherwise. But um, 
for a team that was a Western Conference Finals last year to go from that to not making a play-in, I think there needs to be some sort of ramification. But again, for me, with the 60-game mark, me sticking to that, it's just really, really tough to get to the depth point where you're not taking guys to just take guys. Yeah. The guards I have right now with Brunson, Fox, Morant, Mitchell, Luca, and SGA, those are all guys that deserved it. Right. But you start reaching down further and you start pulling in guys that probably aren't really super deserving of it. Right. And, you know, like you said, you know, Luca, you could look at it and be like, all right, how big was his impact on the team if they missed the playoffs? You know, what, you know, could you bump him down a little bit? Then I look at it and see 32, 8, and 8, and I'm like, all right, I think that that's pretty damn good. I think he deserves a spot. And 66 games, especially among the guards, that's actually a, a lot compared to the rest of the guards on the list. Um, but, you know, a career high in minutes per game, took a career high in shots, career high in makes. You know, he is, his three-point numbers went down a little bit. His free throw shooting went down just a, a, a little bit as well. Um, but overall, the guy's just as dynamic as ever. And if he played more games and was, and you know, actually tried on defense, he really could have, he was the front runner for MVP for a little while. And then Jokic took over and then MB took over and really, but the last five, I'd say the last MVP leader before Jokic and Embiid was probably Luka Doncic. And then Jokic took over when he went on that absolutely torrid streak and was just annihilating everybody. They were wouldn't lose when he had a triple double, all that. But and even I'll admit that you know that um our, our Luca versus Tatum debate will rage on uh, until the sun burns out of the sky. But yeah, so Luca Doncic, congratulations, another first team All NBA appearance. Yay, good for you. Um, forwards, let's start with the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who. If I had an MVP vote, Dave, fun fact, which I don't, by the way, if I had an MVP vote, my vote would be for Giannis, personally. And that might be a hot take, but I'd vote for Giannis. Um, I think as great as Embiid is, as great as Jokic is, if you think we're taking Jokic for granted, I think we're really taking Giannis for granted. You know, what he did winning back-to-back MVPs, and he's just also casually been among the top three players in the NBA at an absolute minimum since those two awards. You know, I I think the only thing more unlike anything I've ever seen other than Jokic is a guy like Giannis, just capable of taking over any game. He can, you know, as much as I think the Celtics are the better team between the Bucs and the Celtics, it is very impressive how Giannis was able to keep the Bucs consistent and afloat between all the injuries they had, Chris Middleton coming back, a lot of guys going down, coming in and out of the rotation, bringing in guys, you know, to fill spots. And still that team was able to rise up and get the one seed. And why? Because in my opinion, they have the best player in basketball and Giannis Antetokounmpo. The guy is just, he's just, you know, it's a cliche, but he's built different. The guy's just an absolute monster. And when he's not playing against your team, and I have to emphasize that, when he's not playing against your team because he plays the Celtics an awful lot and probably, hopefully, if we get our wish, we'll play them again this year in the postseason. He is spectacular to watch. He, it's like it's like trying to guard a freight train. I don't know how you do it. It's, it's almost impossible. And clearly we both agree because he was not, I mean, we both had consensus first teams here for the most part. We did a little discussion on Embiid and Jokic, but the, ooh, spoiler, sorry. But the forwards and the guards, 
I mean, the guard forward spots, we had those locked up. So, yeah. I mean, Giannis, I mean, it, it's almost like what what do you even say about him anymore? Like, he's already won two MVPs, a championship, finals MVP, and like, I don't even know what you even say about him. Like, wh- what words can I even use for him anymore? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the overall body of work, it's basically the it's been the same the last five years for the most part, dating back to his MVPs. Uh, you're looking at 27 to 30-ish points per game, 12-ish rebounds per game, about five to six assists, about a steal and a block per game, three turnovers per game, 10 made shots per game, 55% from the field, 30% from three, maybe a little bit less. This year was 27 and a half. And I think the free throws is the one thing that kind of has been a moving target, so to speak. You have you look at it and you have 72.9, and then this year is 64.5. That's a big step down. That's eight points, almost less than the free throw line, despite taking one more per game than last year. So he definitely has some work to do in that area, but again, no one's perfect. No one's the perfect basketball player because if you could, you would take Curry's distance shooting. You take Giannis's overall body. You take, you know, Jokic is passing. It, there's, you could create the perfect player that way, but Giannis is pretty damn close to the most dominant thing we've seen in the NBA in a little while, both physically and with his play. And you look at overall, his efficiency has been outrageous since he won his first MVP and it hasn't cooled down at all. I think overall there's, again, there's some issues with when teams start to be able to key in on him, they just, they just don't have enough around him right. to maximize his abilities as much as crazy as that sounds like they haven't maximized it yet. They did the year they won the title because they had enough shooting around him, but they just don't have enough shooting. I don't think this year to make that make a big difference when they don't hit threes. And this can be said about a lot of teams. This isn't just a, a bucks thing. When they don't hit threes, they can, almost can't win. Because you saw what happened against the Celtics. They didn't hit threes and they lost by four. It got the lead got big really quick because the Celtics made shots. Right. The Bucs play really good defense. They hit threes, and that spaces the floor for Giannis to do whatever he wants. Right. And right. you have rolling Brooke Lopez, you have Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. Those are the guys that help take the heat off him when he needs a break. But uh again, Giannis is as good as anyone in the league and to be honest, he's the best player in the league. And to me, it's not super close. I think you can make an argument for a few guys, but for the most part, he's he's clearing away the best player. And I think his big issue this year was time missed. Only 63 games this season. That's going to hurt his MVP case. If he plays even you know eight more, if he hits 70, I think you have a really compelling case for him. Uh, but the guy, the guy averaged 31 and 12 and almost six assists per game, and we're like, no, it's Embiid, Jokic, Embiid, Jokic. Like, okay, like, can we just, like, look at this real quick? Because this is not, like, normal. The guy's been averaging, like, 27 and 10 and 5 for six straight years. <laughs> like, this is this is abnormal to see, and especially from a guy his size. And it, like I said, it's like guard, trying to guard a freight train. Like, it's, you just get off the tracks, or you try to get in the right position to draw a charge and cross your fingers and Hope not to get the soul knocked out of you. Um, so yeah, Giannis. Dave, I have a, a fun fact for you. Did you know that there have only been 10 seasons in NBA history 
where a player has averaged more than 30 points per game and fewer than three turnovers per game. Who did that? That's great. Thank you for asking. George. Who did that? And remember, turnovers have only been tracked somehow since 1977. So George Gervin did it. Dominique Wilkins did it. Michael Jordan did it four times. Tracy McGrady did it. Damian Lillard did it, most recently in the 2019-20 season. And actually, for the first time ever, two guys did it in the same season this year. The aforementioned Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the now-mentioned Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics, who had the first-ever 30-point-per-game season in Celtics history and averaged fewer than three turnovers per game in the process, just the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7th player in NBA history to ever do so. If Jalen Brown took a leap this year, I mean, you cannot argue Jason Tatum didn't do the same. And yes, he had some some valleys during the year in terms of his shooting, and he had some poor games for sure. But I think we remember the big moments better than the, the, the low ones. I mean, he had a really bad game against the 76ers, and he hit that shot to, you know, one of the, maybe the most clutch shot of the year for the Celtics, if not top three. Just great pass, pulls up from three, dagger for the Sixers. Incredible shot. And I think that's what I like the most about Tatum is that when the stakes get high and he's having a bad shooting game, like everybody else in the NBA should be doing, you just shoot through it. I mean, he's going to have low shot. He's going to have games where he's not shooting well. He was an MVP front runner at the beginning of the season. Then, of course, he tailed off a little bit when the shooting numbers went down. But he has been in my opinion, one of the five best players in the game all season. And at least at his position, he's really, I would only take Giannis out of him at this point, um, if you're doing a ranking. But Tatum has been such an incredibly talented player for the Celtics and a revelation, honestly. I mean, it, 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 I feel like people, you know, I tweeted this from our podcast account the other day. I really hope people don't take Tatum and Brown for granted because what we're seeing is special. Like, this is... This is what the Celtics have been building towards for years. You know, we watched them suck for a little while, make all these trades, get this crew together, grow together, you know, become a team together. And they got to the finals last year. That was great. But I still feel like people are taking it a little bit for granted because, oh, they're the two seed or they didn't win 60 games. But this is a special couple of players. And I do think Tatum, obviously, you know, his defense, I think, is what really gives him the edge over his, you know, J- over Jalen Brown because he's one of the best two-way players in the game. But he is just such a talented scorer, and I really wish, and he's done it more recently, but he can get to the rim pretty much at will when he wants to. He's so adept at slicing through defenses, and his footwork is so incredible. I, I think, you know, it's it's a no-brainer to put him on the first team, and we're not saying that as Celtics fans. We're saying that as objective basketball fans. The guy was a freak from beginning to end this year. Yeah, Tatum was really, really good. Uh, 60, 61% true shooting percentage. Really, really terrific shot-making. I, I think the weirdest part of the season was the three-point shot kind of disappeared for large portions of the time which made it really, really strange. I think the defense wasn't as good as it has been. doesn't mean it was bad, but I think the things that he really improved on was contact at the rim, took more contact at the rim, was still able to finish. And I think the shot-making was really, really good, although I think 
at times he relies on that too much is making is kind of making difficult shots. There's no need to settle for a mid-range contested two when there's 18 seconds on the shot clock. Like, we can get that whenever we want, especially being 6'10 or 6'9 or whatever he is. But again, you can nitpick anyone's game. Literally anyone on this list, you can nitpick something about their game that you don't like. Yep. Because none of, no, none of these basketball players are perfect. Luca's defense, SGA, and Giannis's three-point shot or free-throw shooting. Yeah, you can nitpick anything. Yeah, yeah like, you know... Maybe Embiid and Luca like don't always show up in the greatest shape. They're not the body language pretty much sucks with both of them all the time. And, you know, I I think there's certain things you can pick and choose from each person's game, like I said. But Jason Tatum was awesome this year. The 30 points per game mark is is really cool for the Celtics. Never have had that being done, which is for a team that has this much history is really cool to say. But uh you know, there's Certainly some things he needs to work on, but overall, you know, 35% from three, he ends up at the year. That's not horrible. Certainly want us to be better. 46% from the field, certainly too low for the amount of shots he's taking. But uh, overall, I thought the playmaking took another step forward. Turnovers were a little high. Better rebounding season than I think he's probably ever had, even regardless of whether the points, the rebounds per game make the number. I think he was much more involved on the on the glass this year, right? And I think that the number one thing that people overlook about him is his uh, his maturity as far as being a part of a team. And I think you don't see that a lot with guys that are his age and right. even younger. Yeah. They usually take to their late twenties, early thirties to hit it. But uh, the ability to defer to Jalen and to have him not pout in big moments when he doesn't get the ball, or in Utah when Grant took that stupid shot at the rim. You never heard Jalen or Tatum or, you know, you never saw bad body language. You never saw him yelling at them. Like, that. that's a big part of what makes these guys great and what makes this team great is that Tatum and Brown know they're that good but also don't have to feel like they're the alpha all the time where they need to plus out someone because they right. took a stupid shot or why didn't I get the ball here? Why was I a decoy? Right. I could have made that shot. You don't hear that, which is yeah. – that's what makes them special. And then Dave – oh, by the way, quick on Tatum. Career, you know, he's improved his scoring, rebounding, and assist numbers every single year he's been in the league. So done nothing but improved numbers-wise. Yes, the shooting uh, should definitely be better. Um, the three-point shooting definitely has to get better, but he's getting to the rim more as well. That eight, 8.4 free throw attempts per game, definitely by far a career high for him. Two more than – two. More than two more than he had last year. So uh, some great numbers from him. Looking forward to that postseason run. And then finally, Dave, our first-team All-NBA center, the probable MVP of the National Basketball Association, Joel Embiid, who, credit to him, turned it on that last third of the season and I think has earned himself his first MVP. I don't know how motivated he'll be in the playoffs now that he finally is going to win this trophy, but... I guess we'll see, uh, but uh, on, on a less sarcastic tone, the guy had an unbelievable season. I mean, he had some performances that you have never seen before out of guys other than Will Chamberlain, which usually when you say dot, 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 other than Will Chamberlain, those numbers are going to be pretty good on the court. So Embiid had some freakish performances this year. And like you said, doing it on national TV, I mean, the guy can do pretty much anything on the basketball court. And also, like we said in the difference between him and Jokic, a really solid rim defender. And 
as far as big man MVP go, you know, I I have no problem with him winning it. I just don't like the arguments of, you know, it's his turn. He deserves it because of that. I think you can, he has a very good case to argue on his merits alone. We don't need to make it about it's his turn. Okay, he's had an incredible season. That's why he should be the MVP. Yeah, I I think when we start getting into that dance of who deserves it because they didn't get it last year or the year before, this person's won too many. Each year is its own thing. You can't look at last year. You can't look at the year before. You can't look at next year. Everything is based on 2022 to 2023 season. Those 82 games or how many games those players played, that's what we base this award on. And Embiid has done more than enough to justify winning MVP, just like Giannis has and just like Jokic has. They all have done more than enough to differentiate themselves among anyone else, among Tatum and Luka and SGA and Jalen and Jimmy Butler, De'Aaron Fox, Sabonis. All of them are taking a backseat to these three guys. It just so happens that Joel Embiid, I think this year, has been the best of those three guys. Doesn't mean though that he's the best player, because I think we already established that most of us think Giannis is the best player. But Joel Embiid this year, I think, has done enough, especially at the right moments where he's going to win the award. Uh, again, I don't even know personally what I who I'd vote for. I'd have to really think about it. I'd have to do more of a deep dive because surface numbers aren't enough for a battle like this where you have three guys that are basically all tied in together. But um, I, I just think overall, Embiid has done more than enough to warrant it. He did more than enough last year too. Just so happened that Jokic was really good. And unfortunately, they only give it one MVP. And not everyone gets a trophy, and you have to be okay with that. But at this point, Embiid has probably done the most this year to win it. Doesn't I, mean everyone's going to agree, but uh, I think I would say Embiid is probably the favorite. I should think they should give MVPs to everybody. All Everybody's top 10 should get an MVP trophy because I think they're all winners, in my opinion. Um, I think Peyton Pritchard should get one, too. I agree. I mean, the guy won the scoring title last year and then proceeded to score two and a half points more per game and then win the scoring title again the next year. Uh, 33 and 10 and four assists. I mean, that's 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 pretty incredible. I mean, he's, again, not a great three-point shooter. I still think he, he takes only three a game, and even that I think is too many. Um, he's a little bit more of a respectable shooter from three than Giannis who you'll let Giannis take that shot anytime. At least when Embiid does it, if he makes one, you do have to start guarding him from that because he, he can get on a little bit of a heater and make a few in a row. Um, those numbers are down, actually, over the past couple of years. But, I mean, the guy takes 20 shots a game, shoots you know almost you know 59% from inside the arc. When he gets down low, he's just he's almost impossible to stop. It, it's, it, it's, it's just unbelievable. I mean, he makes 10 free throws a game and shoots 86% from the line. It's very difficult to shut him down. I just think it's a similar case. He has a little bit better of a supporting cast than a guy like Jokic, but that's where I'm a little concerned with the Sixers overall. I don't know if I love the pieces around Embiid. I mean, just look at the other night. He had to put up a 50-piece for them to win by, like, two, and they didn't even they barely hit 100 points in that game. So... I'm I'm concerned. I know Harden won the assist title this year. He's been pretty solid. You know, D'Anthony Melton's been a good addition. Tobias Harris occasionally plays well. 
So maybe, but I'm just not convinced that their depth is that strong in terms of a deep playoff run. I know we don't we don't need to get into it too much now because we'll do a playoff preview, but I'm just not entirely convinced of the postseason. But the MVP is a regular season award, so it does not matter. Um, but I think Joel Embiid, like you said, I think he will win the MVP. If I had a vote, I would probably go with Giannis. Um, and then probably Embiid second, Jokic third, Tatum fourth, 50 other guys, and then Luka Doncic. But um, <laughs> that's a joke. Luka Doncic was great this year. He'd be top 10 for me, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I would probably say that. That would be my my ballot um, for this year. But, Dave, those are our all-NBA teams. Uh, that is our, you know, one of our wrap-up episodes as we head into the, the playoffs. We'll do a little playoff preview with uh, Brandon when he's – Hopefully feeling better maybe tomorrow or sometime later in the week, depending on how our schedules shake out. Uh, but, Dave, any, any final thoughts here on the all-NBA squads? No, I mean, I think it's a little difficult right, when, you start doing, <laughs> when you start doing games played. But uh, overall, NBA, I think the talent is as good as it's been in a long time. I think the depth at most of these positions are as good as it's been a long time. Like we didn't even mention like Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, right. like Zion didn't obviously may never play enough games, but if he does, he could be in the discussion. There's just Brandon Ingram wasn't talked about. Like right. there's a lot of guys that either didn't play enough games, didn't have a great year by this standard. Like, again, you can still be an all-star caliber season and not be all NBA. There's only 15 all NBA slots. doesn't mean right. you're a bad player. You could still be, you can still be a top – you can still be a 1A star in a team because there's 30 teams and you're not on an all-NBA team. doesn't mean anything. So yeah, like Luke these are just the top 15 guys. It's a snapshot in time, and it might be completely different next year. SJ may not make it. Jason Tatum might fall down. Embiid might fall down. Giannis might have a, a down season. Who knows? But, again, this is like – this league is probably as talented as it's been and probably – at least since the early 2000s when you had the Kobe, David Robinson, Duncan era kind of, right. um, I think, that talent. But uh, we're, it's definitely in good shape. I agree. Well, you can catch our playoff preview later in the week. We'll talk to you guys soon. Uh, go Celtics.